So how is it well with our souls? Those words, it is well with my soul. I was thinking as, as we were singing that in the first service, that how is it well with our souls? How do we, is it well for this moment? Is it well because we're coming together and we're singing some songs with one another that encourage us and give us hope? And then we go back out into the grind of the day and we get ground down and we get shot down and we get into our low parts and we, we into our questions and into the places where we don't understand why this is going on in our lives and all these things. And then we come back in here on Sunday and we get built back up and it's well again. And, and then we get shot down and broken down and question things and wonder why is this going on and why is this happening? And then does it come back up again? And how is it well with our souls? There's a young man who um, is going through a lot right now. He's going through some of life's hardest stuff right now. And uh, before he came in to worship this morning in first service, he said, I, you know, this has been hard, but when I, when I sang those song, that song and sung those words, it is well with my soul. Those words, it is well, just kind of permeated and just revived my heart. And that's because of something that happened that David spoke of in Psalm 40. And David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and he heard my cry. And he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock Making my steps secure, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many are going to see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. What David is singing about here, what he's talking about here is salvation. He's talking about, him, about Jesus. He's, he's, I waited patiently for the Lord. I, I waited in that, in that time where... where my heart was crying out. I needed satisfied. I needed, I needed something to fill the, the emptiness and the loneliness and the hopelessness where, where I had gotten into a place where I could not get myself out of. I had gotten to that place, and I waited on the Lord, and he, he heard me. He heard me cry out, and he inclined his ear to me, and he heard me. And what did he do? He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. He just drew me right up out of it. He saved me. That's salvation. By his own, I've, the last month, I've, these, 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 the description of this to me is his own righteous right hand grabbed me out of the miry bog and he pulled me up. When I couldn't fight my way out of the miry bog, I couldn't do good enough, I couldn't fight my way out of the, the muck and the mire, he drew me up and he drew me out. That's what God did himself. In Jesus is salvation. And what did he do after that? He set my feet on a rock. He, and I, where I was stuck, he set my feet on a rock. And he gave me a place where my steps could be secure. He, he made it so I could walk. In other words, he changed my life. David says he gave me a place to stand. And then he, he let me walk. He, he changed my life. A whole life changed. Now I'm, I'm heading in a different direction. And then he says he put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. 
Many are going to see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So now I tell others. Gives me this testimony of what God's done. And by the power of his own hand, he saved me. And he set my feet on a rock, gave me a place to move. And now I tell others, and they're going to change because they see what's been done to me. They see me rescued, and they're going to put their hope and their faith in him as well. That's how we say it as well. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what brought you here to church, uh, you know. But each one of us that walked in, maybe life is just not perfect right now. It's not just, and, and, and the th here's the thing, here's the secret. It, that's not why we say it's well. It doesn't have to be perfect. Everything in life doesn't have to look like it's supposed to look right now. It's well because Jesus took his own hand and he took us out of the miry bog himself where we couldn't save ourselves. He did the action. He saved us for himself, for his glory, because he wanted to, to be displayed as that kind of lover of mankind. And so he did it for himself. And he did it for us. And so we can sing it as well this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and just thank him for what he's done. Oh, Father, thank you for your great work in us, for us, through us. I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done on the cross. I thank you that you, you heard our cry. You heard, you heard our cry before we were even born, that we were desperately in need of you. We were lost and hopeless without you, and you, you came to earth, and you died for our sin, and we sang about it this morning, and we, we just, we sing, oh, great is your name. Oh, praise the name of the, the Lord most high. May we praise you forevermore, Jesus. I pray that you just reign over this time together. We, we just want, we want to let your Holy Spirit have its way with us this morning. And so I just ask you, as you're in the room, God, do a work in us for salvation and for sanctification, for, for, for justifying us, if, 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 if that's a decision we've not made yet. If, if uh, God, I, I just pray that your spirit goes and just finds each one of us where we are and that you, you draw us closer by the power of who you are. In your name, Jesus, we pray and we give you thanks this morning. Amen. I am uh, Pastor Keith. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to thank you um, for coming. If you're brand new to us, uh, I want to thank you for coming and worshiping with us this morning. We're, we're just glad you're here, and, and uh, I, I pray this is a, a wonderful night of union with, with God this morning for you. And I don't know where your journey is in that, um, but I can tell you this. There is a God who loves you with an incredible love that you can't be compared with any other love that you've ever felt before. Um, it's, 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 it's his ultimate design to, to have you in relationship with him. And so that's, what we, that's why we gather, and uh, we, we gather around the good news of, of how that union happened, how God now can relate to us by, because of the power of the sacrifice of Jesus. Um, and I'm, I'm going to talk about that this morning. Um, I want to thank you as a church uh, for offering me through the elders. I want to thank the elders. Thank you for your prayers this morning. Uh, gentlemen, and I, I so, uh, I'm so honored to serve with you. And um, as a church, I want to thank you for 
uh, extending a, a month sabbatical to me and my family. And, uh, and I say, I'm glad, Reuben, I love that you said my family because I've heard it said before that, you know, you, uh, from, from pastors' lives that, that you get me, but, but look, I've got to protect my family. And that's impossible. Can I just tell you that is impossible? You can't protect your family. I, as a pastor, I can't protect my family from you. And I don't mean that harshly from you. But I'm talking about from ministry and from the, the, the daily ins and outs because it calls us away and it calls, it, 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 it does a work. And, I, and, and there's something that, that's happened. When you say that, it brings to mind, and I, I said it at the first service, I'm so grateful for my family. I'm so grateful for my wife, Dawn, because um, a lot of times she's had to, she's that helpmate to me that has been that supportive Role that's like patched me up when I needed patched up, that's built faith back into me. She deserves a sabbatical. All right, we better get moving. Um, we're going to be, uh, if, 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 again, if you're brand new to us, we're talking through the parables in June. This is the last time we're going, the last parable we're going to look at this month. Um, and then uh, Paul will explain what you're doing next month because I got, I got a clue what you're doing, but I'm not affiliated with it now. So <laughs> That's on him. You guys figure it out. So Luke, uh, Luke chapter uh, 12, we're looking at, we've been looking at parables that are in the synoptic gospels that are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and just digging through um, what these parables mean to us. And so a, paral, a parable, again, if you remember, it's a story that was kind of bold out there by Jesus um, that, that was a story to, to speak into and to teach a spiritual truth um, or a moral truth. And, and Jesus was, was trying to make a point and and uh, there's, some people got it, some people didn't, and there's reasons for that as well. We're not going to go into all that this morning. What I want to do is dig right into this first, um, uh, this last parable that we're, we're hitting on this month um, about the faithful servant. And so uh, it's going to be in Luke 12, 35 through 48. And so you can, if you want to turn your Bible there, you can. If not, we'll, uh, it's on the screen as well. And this is God's word. Um, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. This is Jesus talking. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? Whom is his master will whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. 
Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready for act or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will require a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. <sighs> so this scripture verse, um, there's two ways to approach it. Either with, um, I, think, I feel like striking fear or an encouragement because Jesus is love and he's talking to those that he loves. And so um, that's how we're going to approach this. And, and we know this about us in this parable. So we don't like to, to wait. Um, it's used in sermons all the time. I know I've used it. I've heard Paul use it. We don't like to wait on things. If you're in the McDonald's drive-thru or the Wendy's drive-thru and it's like, it's a hamburger, man. Come on. Like, I've got places to be. And it's like, Within, if you get within, if it's five minutes and you're thinking, I can't believe it took that long, right? And, and, and you, you set the microwave for a minute and you get it out and it's still a little cold and you're like, seriously? And then, you know, that's who we are. I mean, and, and you're like, I don't do that. Well, you do. We're like that. We're, we're, we're a people who are just driven by not liking to wait. But this is a different kind of waiting we're talking about. This isn't what we're talking about in here. This is talking about like, okay, I get in the drive-thru at McDonald's and I'm ready to order a hamburger, but because it took a little while, I forgot what I was doing and I just kind of drove off. Now, I could do that. But that's what this is talking about here. Or, or setting something in the microwave and you, you set the time of it and then just forgetting that you were eating dinner and just having some kind of amnesia moment because of distraction. That's what Jesus is going to deal with here. This isn't about just waiting and like looking and expecting that 30 seconds is going to be shorter than this 30 seconds is taking. This cannot be 30 seconds. It's got to be longer than 30 seconds. I've never seen 30 seconds. That's not talking about this kind of waiting. Jesus is talking about a distraction Something that would pull our minds and our hearts away from truly being focused on what he's called us to be focused on. And so in this parable, I'm going to deal with some of the, some of the things. And it's, there's so much in it. Um, there's some specific things in being cut in two, beaten hard and beaten just a little bit. Some of those things I'm not going to really deal with a whole lot. We just don't have time for all that. Nor, nor do I really want to deal with it because I don't want to be beaten at all. So I want to like shoot the other direction because... I just don't want to have a beating at all. So maybe if we focus on that, let's not get beaten at all. Um, there's a right way to wait. Jesus is calling us to be a faithful servant. There's a right way to wait. And he's, he, he really, the command comes out in, in the first two verses, 35 and 36. Everything is lumped together in those two verses. And here's what it says. It says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him 
at once when he comes and knocks. So the very first part of this verse, stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action. It's like prepare for his arrival. Like be prepared for his arrival. Be, be dressed. Be, be ready that way. Be prepared for him to come. The second part of that verse, keep your lamps burning. Be lit up for his arrival. Okay, so be prepared for it. Jesus is saying, be dressed for action. Be prepared for the master to come back. In other words, don't do this. When the master leaves and you, you see him pull off and he walks off and he's gone from, from the house, you don't lock the door and say, good, let's all take a break. The master's finally gone. And go back and take a nap or go back and, uh, or start whatever. Just go relax. Go, go to the master. Take advantages of, of the master while he's gone. It's like, no, prepare. As soon as your master leaves, you close that door. It's this moment for us. Jesus is saying in that moment, think, okay, he's, he's going to be coming back. Let's get, let's get ready. Let's prepare for the time that he's coming back. Let's, let's prepare ourselves for that moment when he comes walking back down that sidewalk and coming back toward the house. Let's prepare for that moment. He says, so stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be lit up for his arrival. Be lit up for it. Be, don't, don't be like bumbling around in the dark and, and running into each other and not knowing where things are because everything, nothing can be seen and so it's all chaotic. But be, keep your lamps burning, like light it up so that the master can see that you've got things going on. There's, there's stuff going on inside. It's not dark and people aren't sleeping and, 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 and need to be awakened, but you're awake and your lamp is burning. You're lit up for his arrival. Psalm 119.105 says, your word is the lamp unto my feet. It's a light to my path. And so there's this, this place or other places in Scripture where we see that, that light is good for us in salvation. It's also good for us in walking. It's how we get around. It's how we're lit up. Uh, John, um, John 1, Jesus describes himself this way. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not, without him was not anything made that was made. So in other words, Jesus is creator of everything. In him was life, and the life was, the listen, the light of men. In him was life, real life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome it. So we're seeing in the very beginning of John what, what Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. He came as a witness, talking about John, as a witness to bear witness about the light that, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Be lit up for his arrival. So Jesus is referring to himself. Stay dressed for action. Prepare for his arrival. Be lit up for his arrival and then verse 36, he says, be like men who are waiting. And then expect his arrival. Expect it. Expect it today. Like master leaves, you lock the door, you see him go, 
And now you're thinking, okay, we got to get this place ready because he's coming back. Let's get it ready. Let's, it looks good. It looks fine. He was so much that he was, he was able to leave. But let's get it really ready now. Let's, let's do some stuff. Let's, let's do some things that make the master happy. And they get lit up and, and everything's ready for him to return. And then they expect it. Now we're watching the window, man. We're watching for him. And we're looking. We're not taking a break just because everything's lit up. But we're looking. He's got to be around the corner can't be too much longer. And we're just watching for him. This is Jesus describing what this looks like. This is what he's telling us to do. Prepare for his arrival. Be let up for his arrival. Expect his, his arrival. Staying dressed for action. This very beginning when he, says, when, he, when he says in verse 35, stay dressed for action. Really he's pointing back. There's a, there's a place in Exodus 12, all the way back when the people were in bondage in Egypt where, that, where, where this is described as well. Same, same words are used. Dressed in action for the ESV is keep your loins girded. And have your, basically means have your belt tied. Have your, have your, your waist ready to go. Tightened up and, and you're if, if ready to move. So you're, you, pull, you can pull your robe up and tuck it in and, and you can be ready to, to walk and move. In Exodus 12, there's, it's, we're, we're dealing with the, the, pass, the Passover and, and God was going to get his people out of Egypt. And so you might remember the story. There's, there's this place where God institutes the Passover. And he instructs his people, look, I, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, to make a sacrifice. You're going to eat this way. You're going to do these things. I want you to put the blood of that animal up on the door frames. I want you to put it, put it over your house. And when... When you do, what's going to happen tonight is I'm going to come through. Death, death is going to come through, and it's going to hit every house that doesn't have that blood on the door. And the scripture says that death hit every house in Egypt. Death was in every house that morning. So there was a wailing, an outcry that came out of Egypt that, throughout that night. And, and uh, I mean, to the point that Pharaoh said, get out of here, like you've got to go. This is, we've, we, I can't take any more of this, go. And, and he gave him some stuff. You know, you may know the rest of the story, not going to go there. In Exodus 12, verse 11, God says the same thing in this Passover preparation as they're getting ready for all this. He says, eat the Passover and eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. That's the words. That is not how I sit down to dinner. Right? Most of us, this is not what we do. Most of us, if there's anything happening, we're not, belt, we're not, we're not fastening our belt. We're unfastening our belt for dinner. Right? Because when you sit down to dinner, you're sitting down to relax because you're planning on eating and then relaxing. And what God is telling them in the Passover meal, eat the Passover and then eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Why? Because you're preparing to leave. You're preparing to leave. You're about to be freed. And that same idea is coming here. Jesus is telling the same thing through this parable. Be like men who are dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting. Why? Because you're preparing to leave. You're, you're, you're a people who are about to be freed. So be ready. Don't fall asleep. 
there are different attitudes about the second coming of Jesus. Could you guys, do you guys have, uh, you're in the middle of a PowerPoint. You can't, probably, uh, never mind. So this second, um, this second song we sang talks about Jesus coming again like a, like a bride waiting for her groom will be a church. Wait, yeah, you can. Will be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our king, we sing, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. Even so come, Lord Jesus, come. Why would we sing that? We would sing that because Jesus is going to come again. We're not singing that because we don't believe in the cross. We're not singing that because we don't believe that redemption has already happened for mankind, that God has done his perfect work on the cross for salvation we believe this, we sing this because we believe that it's not finished. Our ultimate salvation will happen because Jesus is going to come back again and ransom his church. He's coming back for each one of us who have trusted in his name. And he's going to make everything right in the world. He's going to come back and he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords over all creation. For us who've trusted for many who have not trusted, it doesn't matter. He's going to be king. And so we trust that. And we look at this song knowing that he's coming again. But there's different attitudes about that. There's different attitudes about Jesus coming again. And that, this parable is, t is told for that reason. Why would Jesus tell a parable about the master leaving and make sure you're prepared? Because they're, why? Because people aren't going to be prepared. And why would he make the point that, like, be lit up for his arrival? Because people aren't going to be lit up. They're going to allow other stuff to creep in, and they're going to be distracted. McDonald's, vroom, and then off. Forgot what I was doing. Why would he say expect his arrival? Be like men who are waiting, because people aren't, weren't going to be waiting. Because there's a fear that we're not going to be waiting. We're going to be, like, distracted. All kinds of different attitudes. And here it, it, it comes down to this. And I think this is a, a strong statement for us this morning about the second coming. I don't know how you feel about Jesus coming again. Like when I, when I say that, that Jesus is going to come again and it could happen today. Like if you really believe that, that it could happen today, what would that compel you to do now? Like in this moment, would it like wake you up or would it, would it like just, do you already believe that? And you just know, yeah, you're right, man. He could come any second. I, I do know that and I'm excited for it because I know then I'm going to be redeemed completely. And I, and I just know, I know that's, that's just going to be beauty because he's taking me into his family. Or, or are you just kind of like, yeah, I've heard that for, we've heard that for a long time. I've heard it so many times in church. For 2,000 years, they said this. And so there's so many attitudes about the second coming of Christ. But here's what I believe. Our attitude individually, not our collective attitude, but your attitude, my attitude toward Jesus' second coming is a result of our attitude about his first coming. Okay, I'm going to say that again. I want you to let it settle in, and we're going to talk about this a little bit. Our attitude toward Jesus' second coming is the result of our attitude toward his first coming, what he did the first time he came, and our attitude toward it, because there's different attitudes toward that as well. So how do you feel about Jesus coming to earth the first time? Let that settle in and just think it through. How do you really feel about Jesus coming to earth the first time and to do what he did? 
We celebrate his birth at Christmas. And uh, we, felt, we celebrate his death and resurrection at Easter. But what is his birth and his death and his resurrection really mean to you personally? How has it changed your life? How has it changed your life? Yeah, on Easter week, I, I, you know, we, this past year, we had uh, uh, Pastor Randy Smith came in and, and did, a, did a, the, like the, the Seder dinner where we, all, we all, all got to witness what Jesus did with his disciples. And then that moved us into a time of Good Friday where we, where we reflected on the fact of Jesus' being arrested and him then being tried as guilty for crimes he didn't commit crucified, buried, and then we moved into Sunday for the resurrection where Jesus was victorious over death and hell and sin and the grave and then came back through the Holy Spirit and, and we just, it's celebration. Yeah, awesome. But is that, I, I'm just, but what does that do for your daily life? Like how do you live that out on a daily basis? day-to-day basis? Has it changed your life? How often do you think about it? How often do you think about what he did, the first coming? When he came and gave his life on the cross and he died for you. Two thousand years ago, the most loving event in all of human history happened, and that was his first coming. It was done for me, and it was done for you, for all of humanity. It was written about seven hundred years before it happened. Um, David spoke of it in the Psalms, and Isaiah spoke of it in Psalm two. Verses 11 and 12, David says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And then he says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Son hadn't even come yet. Isaiah 7, 14 Isaiah prophesies 700 some years before. It says, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people. Sorry, that's 17, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What? It's like, that, it's like a miraculous proclamation. Can you imagine hearing that? Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Wait a minute, what? A virgin will do What? Conceive a baby, a virgin? That's outlandish. This is what's written about the first coming of Christ. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. He goes on, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. 
child born to us, but a son given from heaven. And government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How has that changed your life? Look at Luke 23, the actual account. What happened when Jesus came to earth the first time? If our attitude toward Jesus' second coming is the result of our attitude toward his first coming, what did he do the first time he came? And this is the account. Luke 23, 26 through 49 says, And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others who were, who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. By, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. He's the Christ of God, his chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There also was an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we were receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man's done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then having said this, he breathed his last now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. What do you do with that? That's not a story. That's an account of the living God's son coming to earth by his own righteous right hand to redeem all of mankind. And when he 
went to the cross, many in the crowd that were watching chose where they were that day. They chose whose side they were on. If you're the son of God, save yourself. If you're this, save. If you're that, if... But here's the beauty of what went on that day as all those different attitudes about the cross happened. Jesus took all the sin and all the shame from all of humanity and he took it to the cross with him on himself, whether they liked it or not. They didn't have to believe for him to take their sin as well. He was, he was taken to the cross for sin completely. And then it just comes down to where are we? What do we do with that? What do you do with that information? What do you do with Jesus' first coming? Because your attitude, my attitude about him coming again is going to be about, it's going to be the result of my attitude about that first coming and how I feel about him coming and doing that for me. It calls us to turn from our wicked ways and follow him. That's what it calls us to do, to turn from ourselves and to follow after him. Why? Follow him not because he's angry, not because he's upset, not because he, if we don't, he's going to snuff us out. His word is a, is, is, is a, is a humbling enough, all-striking parable to settle that in. But why do we follow him? We follow him because he loves us. We follow him because he went to the cross for us. He, he did the work ahead of us. 2,000 years ahead of us, he had us on our minds. We weren't even born yet. And he knew we needed a savior. He wants to protect us. We should tell others that the God who created them loves them, gave himself to satisfy the longing in them. If we understand what he's done for us in his first coming, we will prepare for his second coming. Listen, don't miss this. If we understand what he's done in the first, we'll prepare for the second. We'll be lit up for it. We'll be a people acting and ready, repenting and moving. And we'll expect it. We won't be a people that said, yeah, it'll probably be another thousand years. I'll be dead and gone before it happens. No, we'll expect that it could happen today. We might not even make it out of church before Jesus comes back. Verse 41, Peter asked Jesus this question. And I feel like this is a question that could come from me because I'm pretty sure that, reading, that hearing this parable, I would be like scared straight, just trembling, thinking, what are you talking about, Jesus? Is this me? Is this? And so Peter asks Jesus this, Jesus, are, are you saying this parable to us or for everyone? In other words, like, Jesus, can you let us off the hook here? Can you like, is this for the Pharisees too and all those people who've been like putting down a hard law on everybody and then being hypocritical and living their own life. Is, is that for them? Is this for, for, is this for us or is this for everybody? What's, who's this for? And Jesus doesn't just give him an answer. He responds with a question. This is what he asks him. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? 
He didn't let Peter off the hook. Listen, he doesn't let us off the hook here. He's asking us a question. Who is the faithful manager, the wise manager? Who is the faithful and wise manager? Who the master is going to set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Who, who is that? Jesus asks. There's tension in that question. Who is it? I would ask you that question. Who is it? Who's, who's the faithful manager? Our attitude toward Jesus' second coming and him coming back because he's coming back. My attitude toward him coming back, splitting the, splitting the sky in all of his greatness and glory for the final time that he will come to earth. When he comes in that moment, my attitude will be a result of how my attitude has been in his first coming and what he's done for me through the gospel. See, we are all called to be faithful and wise. This is a call out to us to be a faithful servant, to be, to be faithful in what we do, to be faithful in who we are. We're called to be Jesus. We're called to share Jesus. We're called to love like Jesus so that when others are hopeless and they're filled with darkness, we can be ready to give the reason for our hope. So we do these three things. We do what this parable has instructed us to do. We, we prepare for his second coming. We prepare for it. Not just at Easter, not just at Christmas, but we're dressed and we're ready for action. We prepare for it. What are you doing today to prepare for Jesus' return? What are you doing right now to prepare for his return? Not to prepare for lunch, not to prepare for next month, not to prepare for school start. What are you doing to prepare for Jesus' second coming? Prepare for it. Second, be lit up for his arrival. Be who he's instructing in this parable as well. How is the worship of Jesus affecting your own life in Jesus? How are you lit up? with the love of Jesus, with who Jesus is? How is your worship of Jesus affecting your own self? And then expect his arrival. Verse 40, Jesus says, the son of man is coming in an hour you don't expect. I mean, he just comes out and says it. I'm coming when you're not gonna expect it. So always expect it. He says, blessed is that man, that, that, that worker is, and that servant is, is blessed if, he, if, if he's awake in the second or third watch when I come. It's in those watches, I want you to put that into some perspective here. Sunset to 10 o'clock at night was the first watch. 10 to 2 in the morning was the second watch. And 2 till sunrise was the third watch. And he says, that, and what, what would we naturally be doing in those second and third watches? Sleeping. And he's saying, don't sleep. Don't let yourself get stuck sleeping during, during the coming, his second coming spiritually. Be prepared for it, man. Be lit up for his arrival. Expect his arrival. Be looking for his arrival. May that be who we are. Let's pray.